Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast on the Questionable Endeavor Network, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And, of course, do not forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. On that note, a quick shout-out to our new listeners in the tiny British overseas territory of Gibraltar. I did not realize there were wrestling fans in Gibraltar, but I feel confident in assuming your favorite superstar is likely The Rock. Okay, that too easy, too easy, I'm sorry. Also breaking news, I, Henry Hugepex, will be attending the live SmackDown draft episode in Worcester, Massachusetts on Tuesday, July 19th, where the WWE roster will be split. Am I going to be named the new GM of SmackDown that night? Stay tuned to find out. But now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a real treat for you this week because I have some special guests joining me from the questionable Endeavor network of podcasts. First up... Making his return to the show after an eight-episode absence from the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, it is Adam. And Adam, would you mind refreshing the listeners about that podcast? Sure. Uh, The Rundown is a weekly podcast, usually uh, Wednesdays, but moving to Thursdays uh, next week once SmackDown goes live, uh, where we just talk about uh, the goings-on in WWE and sometimes TNA, if it's ridiculous enough. Uh, And just uh, we have fun with it. It's a great show. Um, Henry, I want to thank you for having me back here. I'm very proud and honored to be the first ever uh, two-time guest here on the Raw Attitude Podcast. Of course, of course. Someone, someone might be objecting to that over there, but uh, uh, yeah, a little bit. But we'll talk in a second. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Next up, making his debut on the Raw Attitude Podcast, the man who co-hosts the aforementioned Rundown Wrestling Podcast with Adam. His name is Jason. So, Jason, since we just got the story on the Rundown, would you mind introducing yourself to the Raw Attitude fans? Uh, like, uh, like Henry just informed you, I typically co-host the Rundown with Adam. I'm kind of the Cato Kalen of the uh, Questionable Endeavors Network. I just tag along wherever I'm needed. I <laughs> and they're an accomplice to murder. Well, I kind of live in everybody's shed, and, you know, occasionally they let me out to, to talk to people. Splendid. And finally, making his return to the show after a 10-episode absence, please welcome the mastermind of the Questionable Endeavor Network. From the Shadow Vane podcast and Tuning Japanese, it is Andy. And Andy, would you mind telling the listeners about those shows as well? Sure, will do. Uh, Shadow Vane podcast is a radio drama podcast where we do original stories as well as classic tales of terror. Uh, you can find out more information at shadowvane.net or at the Questionable Endeavor Network. Um, we are just now getting underway, ready to start our next story, so pretty excited for that. Uh, Tuning Japanese is a podcast where myself and a couple friends, uh, we sit down and we talk about anime. We review episodes of animes of our choice, and we have a lot of fun and curse a lot. It's good times, so check that out. Uh, that's at tuningjapanese.com. Excellent. I would say Bill is the unsung hero of the uh, Questionable Endeavor Network. <laughs> I would agree with you on that one. I would agree with you. I, I'm really sad he couldn't be on here tonight. 
Oh, damn it. And Andy wants to mention that he is very honored and proud to be the second ever to uh, uh, Something like that. Something like yeah, that. You, you, beat him, you beat him by a nose. That's he okay. Introduced- I was the he- first ever guest in general, so I'm cool with it. He introduced me first. That's all that counts. This is like a photo finish at the Kentucky Derby right here. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, great to have you all here, and thank you very much for joining this very special episode of the show. So with that being said, shall we get into it then? Oh, let's do it. Sounds good. All right. It is Monday, April 13th, 1998, and we are live from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, very close to where I grew up. We open with the brand new WWF Attitude Bumper at the top of the show, followed by highlights from last week's episode of Raw, where Stone Cold Steve Austin dressed in a suit and appeared ready to become Vince McMahon's new corporate WWF champion. But instead, he revealed that it was all a ruse, and then he punched Vince in the balls. So what do these two have in store for each other tonight? Let's find out. Cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. I don't know if you guys were paying attention to any of the signs in the audience, but I noticed a lot of good ones, including We Heart Handicapped Matches. Oh, Fire Michael Cole. That fan is probably still bringing that sign to every show. <laughs> Cactus Jack killed Tupac. Happy 100th birthday, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Savio Vega would squash Goldberg. And also the related, who's Goldberg blowing? <laughs> Luna, I... is my, Luna is my abusive stepfather. <laughs> and, hey, Austin, run over to TNT and stun Shivani for us, please. So as usual, the Philly fans have stepped up their games. Did you guys notice any good ones? There were a couple I caught. Uh, first one, I guess, is a throwback to the South Park era because it said, I not fat, I big bone. Just I saw that, yeah. B-O-N-E. <laughs> there was one that just randomly seemed to say anal tones. Don't know what that was about, but <laughs> it sounded. It looked like it was worth mentioning. Uh, and then one I kept seeing was Spanky gets hand jobs. I, I did see that. Brian Kendrick wasn't around yet, so I don't know which Spanky he was referring to. But <laughs> and it should be we should be pointed out that the fire Michael Cole sign that you referred to was actually being held up right behind Michael Cole. So yes, <laughs> wow. that fan knew where his seat was going to be. Clearly, huh. all, all the ones I wrote down have already been mentioned, but I, I appreciate I, the effort. I found yeah. one at the very end on the uh, the Raw after show or whatever the, the whatever it was called. Oh, the- the extra, uh, atti- extra, the extra atti- attitude. Yeah, that extra attitude. It was uh, they the 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 camera. This is I, spoiler. We're getting to the very end. The camera pans away from everything, all the craziness and sanity that was the end segment, and just stays on this sign for a good like five seconds, and it just says, "Make me a manager," and it's like that person's picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the so, headshot. I was like, "What the fuck the is per- that? And why are they focusing on it for like five seconds?" So yeah, that was weird. That was anal tones. That's his. That's his managing. Oh, okay, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Ah, yeah. Clearly, the Philadelphia sign game is on point tonight. So we open with the aforementioned Stone Cold Steve Austin heading to the ring with his WWF title. As you might expect, he grabs a mic and calls out Vince McMahon. Austin says he promises he will not attack Vince if he comes to the ring. He just wants to talk to him, and he'll hold the whole show hostage again if necessary, just like he did a few weeks ago. So after a few minutes of Austin calling him out, Vince does nervously peer his head out from behind the curtain as though he was a stage actor in Entourage the Musical and he just spotted a theater critic in the front row. <laughs> he stands at the top of the ramp alongside Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, but before he walks to the ring, he turns around and looks toward the backstage area and two police officers in riot gear then appear and walk to the ring with them. Clearly, Vince does not want to be punched in the wrinklies again. Austin and Vince then stand face to face and Stone Cold begins by asking who his opponent will be at the upcoming Unforgiven pay-per-view, to which Vince says he has not yet made up his mind. 
Austin says he knows that Vince does not want someone like him to be WWF champion. He wants someone polished, someone respectable, someone with manners who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. In fact, it seems like the person Vince McMahon wants to be the WWF champion is Vince McMahon. And with that in mind, Austin then says this. So tonight in Philadelphia, here on Raw, I am putting the WWF title on the line. Look at me when I'm talking to you. Don't ever turn your back on me. Because you never know. Even though I give you my word, I wouldn't hit you. I just might knock your damn head off. You're probably wondering, well, Steve, who's going to be your opponent? The way I look at it, there can only be one opponent for Steve Austin, and that is Mr. Vince McMahon. I got to ask you, do you accept the challenge or do you not? No way. Let me put it to you this way. We can do things the easy way or we can do things the hard way. Some of these people like it when I do things the hard way, so tell me what you're going to do. Give me some idea of what the what the easy way is and and what the hard way is. What's your definition? I'll tell you what the easy way is. The easy way is for you to handpick any WWF official back there, come back to the ring, and fight Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title. I'm giving you a chance to win it all, to win the WWF title. The fact of the matter is, I could probably beat your ass with one hand tied behind my back. Now, if you don't choose to do the things the easy way, then by certainly, you can do things the hard way. What's the hard way, Mr. Austin? The hard way is this. I done told these people it's going to be Austin McMahon. By doing things the easy way, you've got a chance to win the WWF title. To do things the hard way means that I'm gonna hand pick one of these WWF cameramen, I'm gonna take him backstage to your office and I'm gonna beat your ass in front of the world anyway. You and me have got to stop. This ain't going nowhere. Do things the easy way, you got a chance to win in the belt. Do the things the hard way, all you gotta do is get a chance to get your face swole shut. Either way you look at it, I'm going to give you 30 minutes to make up your mind. 30 minutes, no more, no less. You make the decision, the easy way, the hard way. I ain't going nowhere, and if you think you're going somewhere, you're dead wrong because your limo driver's been beat up and you got four flat tires. Let me ask one more time. If you want to see Austin McMahon, give me a hell yeah then that's the way it's going to be, and that's the bottom line. So there you have it. Austin gives Vince 30 minutes to decide whether he'll fight him in the ring for the title or if Stone Cold instead just goes backstage and beats the crap out of him with no belt on the line. 
You may also want to note that part where Austin said he could, quote, beat Vince with one arm tied behind his back, because it may be important later. But as for this opening segment, gentlemen, what were your thoughts? Let's start with Andy. Uh, two things come to mind. Number one, the crowd ate this up. Oh, and yeah. I can't blame them. This is uncharted territory. This is new stuff. This is exciting. This is different. Um, and even reliving and rewatching it today when I was getting ready for this show, I kind of got goosebumps a little bit watching it again. Just, it was just, I remembered suddenly why the Attitude Era was in some ways looked at and respected as a amazing time in wrestling. Uh, the mm-hmm. second thing that comes to mind is when does Vince get his theme music? Because that's not until I think Royal so, Rumble '99. Because that yeah. the theme of that show was uh, No Chance in Hell. Gosh, the, I believe that was the, the Survivor Series, wasn't it? No, oh, it was man. a Royal Rumble. It was definitely a Royal Rumble. Because oh, because uh, Vince kept saying that Austin had no chance in hell to win the Royal Rumble. Oh, that's oh, right. There you go. That's right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Spoiler alert for six months from now. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, what about uh, what about you, Adam? What did you think? Um, one of the notes that I, that I took down was, it just says, that is how you set up a main event. There you uh, go. Cause they, like you said, I mean, you, you mentioned it jokingly and when we were prepping for the episode that they, you know, they keep mentioning it throughout the episode. You'll never forget what the main event is, but I mean, even with, even if they didn't mention it, I mean, it's still, that's going to permeate the entire show. I enjoy the fact that, uh, I think it was, was it Austin himself who said that they're going to settle this once and for all. I'm like, yeah, yeah this episode definitely settled it. We never heard any word one about Austin versus McMahon ever again for the rest of time. <laughs> nope, this is this is the blow off. <laughs> uh, and what about you, Jason? What did you think? Uh, well, the, the for one thing that I did notice uh, that I found interesting was in that opening segment they they showed that whole clip with uh, Austin coming out with the suit on from the week before, and mm-hmm. it. Harkened me back to that failed heel turn Austin would have later when he aligned with McMahon, <laughs> yeah. uh, where I think like something like that I think would have really helped make that last. Um, I think that was a nice touch for this, but could have been used later. Um, mm. The other thing that really stood out to me uh, in the context of seeing it t- versus today was the uh, Vince McMahon character was really much more subdued. Yes. Uh, as an over the top, he wasn't nearly as over the top or campy as an evil heel owner as he as he became later. Yeah, was exactly. he? Even, he wasn't. Even, he was hardly even Mr. McMahon at that point. I mean, during during going, jumping ahead during the main event, Tony Chimmel introduces him as Vince McMahon, yeah. which right. would yeah. never happen nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yep. I think that character. Early, yeah. I think the way he played it at that point made it even more believable and, and added to the whole storyline. Yeah, at this point, he's kind of in the phase where he's like. I'm the owner of the company. I'm concerned about the company. You know, he, he kind of thinks that he's, you know, doing right by the company as opposed to just turning full-fledged evil where he's just going to be, you know, like, I hate Austin. I hate Austin. You know, it was me, Austin. It yeah. was me all along. <laughs> yep. So at this point, he's just kind of in that phase. But, uh, yeah, spoiler alert, he's going to get there uh, relatively soon. But, yeah. Yeah. So all in all, I, I thought a very uh, effective opening segment for certain to set up the main event. So after commercial break, we go backstage where Patterson and Briscoe are surprisingly telling Vince that he should just fight Stone Cold and settle things once and for all. Apparently, they have quite a bit of confidence that he can get the job done. Either that or they're both next in line to take over the company and they're hoping he gets put into a coma, one or the other. So now our first match of the evening is a chain match, Skull and Eight Ball of the Disciples of Apocalypse versus Savio Vega and Jesus Castillo of Los Bariquas or as Michael Cole calls them several times throughout the match, Los Badiquas, for some reason. Uh, so first trying, of all, when the he's disciples... He's trying to roll of, his R's. He's trying to roll his R's. Oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, so first of all, when the Disciples of Apocalypse are involved in a chain match, how do you not include the one member of the group whose name is Chains? 
I mean, that's just a total layup right there. What the hell? Um, but anyway, before the match can begin, Degeneration X heads to ringside, which, as you might expect, ends up being rather unfortunate for the DOA. While the match is going on, DX proceeds to murder Chains with several steel chair shots outside the ring. Triple H then pedigrees Chains on the arena floor onto a steel chair, which Chains once again sells by landing knees first. The Outlaws then hit him with a spike pile driver on top of the chair for good measure, so he may literally be DOA at this point. <laughs> DX, DX then rolls into the ring and starts beating the crap out of Skull and 8-Ball, so the referee just throws the match out, even though there are no disqualifications in a chain match, so really it should have just kept going. DX and their old pals Los Badiquas take out DOA and pose together, and then DX tells Savio Vega and Jesus to pose with them, the two Bariquas each start crotch-chopping, seemingly having just been initiated into DX. But then China hits them both with ball shots from behind, and DX beats the crap out of Savio and the Jesus as well. We see Chains getting carried off on a stretcher as DX celebrates in the ring. Your thoughts on this totally wasted chain match <laughs> and the subsequent DX beatdown? Adam, you can uh, go first. Ball shots from behind. The Joni Laura story. Um... <laughs> To be completely honest, I did not. I I don't even remember watching this match. So that's how uh, that's enough. how much of an impact that put on me. Maybe you skipped through it. So, Jason, uh, do you remember watching the match? I was I, I was assembling a cat tree at the time. I may have been distracted. Okay. Uh, yeah, I do remember. And one thing I you didn't you didn't mention it. And I don't know if it was something different when it was originally presented, but the cut between the McMahon meeting and the DX introduction was really awkward. It was like almost like a real jump cut. I don't know if there was something oh, in yeah, there that yeah. they took away. I noted that too. Uh, yep. But it was noticeably awkward So because I, I made a note of it. Yeah, it was uh, sudden. Yeah, very much. Uh, so, yeah, Michael Cole, for whatever reason, couldn't figure out which member of DOA it was because he kept referring to him as that member of DOA instead yeah. of whichever one it actually was at any given time. But here's the thing that really blew my mind about this. I've seen a lot of chain matches in wrestling. I've never seen one where each member of the match is chained to one corner of the ring and yeah. not to each other, and they just mm -hmm. come to the middle to fight. I've never seen that in any chain match before. Maybe that's an older thing that I don't recall, but I've seen a lot of them through the years, and that one really struck me as, as odd. I don't know. Let's give it to Vin leave it to Vince Russo. Give him credit for finding a way to end a match with no DQs by a DQ. <laughs> exactly. And Andy, what were your thoughts on it? Uh, this match is important, I think, for one reason, and I think it was meant to be a specific jab at WCW. Uh, the oh. whole the whole setup with DX in the ring and the Bariquas and then beating them down, I think, was making fun of the NWO. And the fact that uh. this was going on every week uh, and the NWO would beat down someone and then a new person would not get beat down and be brought into the fold. Well, here I think they were mimicking that, and then when China, you know, gives a double, you know, straight arms to the to the gonads on both of the guys, I think it was kind of like a big middle finger to WCW and saying, yeah, that's stale. Our group only needs four, five people, um, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna do things our way. I hadn't thought of that, but that's actually a pretty good point. Um, I mean, yeah, they're. Throughout DX's run, they are pretty consistent. They're not adding a ton of people like the NWO does. They do seem to have that consistent core, where right now it's Triple H, the Outlaws, China, and Xbox. Before that, it was Triple H, Sean, and China. Yeah, they're not really adding a ton of people to it, which definitely, I think, uh, is a benefit to the group, because DX doesn't need 
10, 15 people in it like the NWO needs. Right. It, just, it would completely water it down. So yeah, and they're, 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 they're kind of like the to overtake the company, basically, yeah. like the NWOs was. So. Absolutely. And they're, and they're basically the, the analog group, so. And, yeah. and this ended up being a really DX-heavy episode, too. We saw them mm-hmm. quite a few times on this episode. Oh, yes. Yeah. And also, as you've probably seen, this is the sort of middle period where the new DX are still heels, mm-hmm. which doesn't last for very long. Spoiler Desp- alert. Desp- but... Despite Xbox best efforts. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. But yeah, that's uh, that was our opening segment there. So after a – well, not our opening segment, our opening match, I should say. And after a commercial break, we see Vince backstage talking with Patterson and Briscoe, but now Shane McMahon has joined the conversation. Whatever happened to that guy? He says he doesn't he like looks, that they're telling he Vince. He looks so young. He's really young. Compared to, to, uh, compared to today, he looks like he's 12. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But he says he doesn't like they're telling Vince that he should fight Austin, and he appears worried for his father's safety. However, I ended up being distracted because in the background during their conversation, I don't know if you guys noticed this, you could see a red chair get up and walk on its own right out of the frame. Did you notice this? For those of you listening at home, watch this episode of Raw. Go to 21 minutes into the broadcast. If any of you want to queue up this clip right now, 21 minutes into the broadcast, you'll see a red chair in the background move on its own with no one touching it. it is, it's goddamn amazing. How has nobody, nobody noticed this? It's fucking amazing. It proves that either their, the arena, I suppose, is haunted or inanimate objects have developed minds of their own. Seriously, go back and look at this. I think, I, I think Jason bonkers. is actually bringing this up on his phone. Please do. You, you, can prove, you can prove this right now, 21 minutes into the episode. Go ahead and pull it up. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't wait. I'm trying to do this on my this phone. It could take a while. Okay, fair enough. Great podcast. We'll move on. It's okay. So when we return from commercial, Vince is walking to the ring where the teams of Too Much and Pantera and Aguila are already in the ring, ready to begin their match. Instead, however, because the team of Scott Taylor and Brian Christopher will never draw any money in this company, Vince <laughs> has them leave the ring. Vince has them leave the ring. He grabs a microphone, and then he says this. For over 50 years, the World Wrestling Federation has been a part of my heritage. From my grandfather, to my dad, to me, and I hope that that heritage continues on with my son and daughter and their children and each succeeding generation thereafter. And the World Wrestling Federation has always been about honor and integrity. Qualities that are sorely lacking in our current World Wrestling Federation champion. Stone Cold Steve Austin has no honor. Stone Cold Steve Austin has no integrity. that the decision I'm about to make here tonight will not sit that well with those who have preceded me. But nonetheless, sometime a man's got to do what a man's got to do. And so in answer to the question, Will I fight Stone Cold Steve Austin in this ring tonight? The answer is 
Oh, hell yeah. No! He's got to be kidding! This is absolutely astronaut. Please say this is not going to happen. Yeah, he has no chance. No chance. This is getting some bad advice. I'll tell you what, if this happens, it's going to rip this company apart. This is going to be a tragedy. So there you have it. Vince McMahon will fight Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title in the main event of Raw tonight. He then gets congratulations from Patterson and Briscoe on the ramp as he walks backstage, even though he is potentially about to seal his own death warrant. An upset Jim Ross then says he can't allow this to take place, so he leaves the announce table and heads backstage, presumably to try and talk some sense into the man who has already fired him twice at this point. Realistically, I think JR should probably I think JR should probably let this one play out because it may be more beneficial to him. But anyway, gentlemen, what were your thoughts on this classic moment of Vince accepting the challenge? And Adam, I'll start with you since Jason is looking up the moving chair. <laughs> I just felt bad for the cruiserweights because based on what happened here and what happens immediately after, yep. you know, those those poor guys just can't catch a break. They cannot. But yeah, this is the classic Vince uh, will I accept the challenge? Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Love it. What, what did you think of that, Andy? Did you like the uh, Vince Manning up? Yeah, no, I thought it was good. Um, I was confused. My one takeaway from the whole segment was I was I found myself yelling at the TV, please don't leave JR. I don't want to be stuck with just Michael Cole, and especially young <laughs> young Michael Cole who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Um, yeah. So, yeah. no, But it was, it was a good segment. I'm glad that, again, they're, they're teasing the heck out of the, the main event, which is good. That's how you, how you do it. But... The, like like Adam said, the only problem is they're taking away from other parts of the show. You're saying you would have preferred if Kevin Kelly came down to join him on commentary. Right? <laughs> or no, not, no, not maybe Doc, all. maybe Doc Hendricks. Doc Hendricks. Oh, yeah. God. Todd Pettengill. Yeah. Uh, Jason, what about you? What did you think of Vince answering the challenge? Uh, the thing I found particularly amusing about this whole segment was the juxtaposition of Jr. leaving. He gets about halfway up the ramp, the lights go out, and then the next person comes out. It was almost like a Superman Clark Kent situation. <laughs> <laughs> like the second Jr. left, this person showed up. Um, but yeah, it was you know one of those landmark moments, and I think Vince played it beautifully. The oh hell yeah, he tapped right into Austin's character and really sold um, the friction between the two of them. I thought it was beautifully done. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I'm glad you're queuing me up for the segue here. So the four cruiserweights are now back in the ring, ready to finally start their match. But then the lights go out. This time, however, it's not Kane coming to the ring, but rather The Undertaker instead. He immediately hits Aguila and Pantera with a double choke slam. And when Scott Taylor tries to run away, he grabs him and hits him with a choke slam as well, followed by a tombstone for good measure. Taker grabs a mic and says it's time he showed Kane what evil is all about. Kane is no longer the hunter. Now he is the hunted, and Taker wants him face-to-face tonight. So what did you think of this segment, and were you guys happy to see The Undertaker and his MS-13 teardrop tattoo? Andy? My only thought was, man, The Undertaker, watching this whole episode of Raw, The Undertaker really hates the tag division. <laughs> like, he, he murdered, like, three tag teams this this uh, this show. Uh, yeah. And apparently Kane is a fan of them because by the time the third one's murdered, as we'll see later, he ha- he can't handle it anymore. He has to take a stand. Um, yeah. Good so, for him. So, good for him. Yeah, it was very very good for him because you know tag team wrestling is where it's at. So yeah, no, it was it was unexpected. It was I like that the announcers were like, oh my god, now Kane, and then it's the Undertaker has a complete swerve, and they do that throughout the entire night. They're like, wait, is 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 it Kane now? Nope, Undertaker again. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed. Oh, he got that. us again. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that. Excellent, uh, Adam. What about you? 
Yeah, I enjoyed. I just sorry. I just watched the the chair walking on its own. Yeah. Um, the chair. So for the record, the yeah. chair does it does. walk on yep. its own. Yeah. It's, at the, it's at the very end of the segment. All of a sudden, yeah. it just goes out of yeah. frame. Um, okay. As for the as for the Undertaker, I just thought my I think my favorite part just because of how ridiculous well it was was when he comes out to beat up the cruiserweights. Michael Cole going, but that's Kane's mo. Like, yeah, he's gonna find. What are they related or something? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jason, what about you? Uh, I had a similar note to what Adam said. It was like, the poor guys in this tag match, they just wanted to wrestle and they kept <laughs> being prevented. Yeah, the thing I found actually more interesting, and, and it plays out later as well, is that the crowd, when the lights went out, the crowd almost seemed disappointed when it was The Undertaker that came out and not Kane, which <laughs> I found kind of striking given that Undertaker's supposed to be the face and Kane yeah. the heel. Yeah, what stuck out for me is the fact that uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had sent Aguila to Wrestler Heaven, and when I saw him in the ring, I was like, wait a minute, I could have sworn my research said he was done having matches on Raw. And as it turned out, he was, because he didn't actually get a match. In. Uh, but yep, there you go, The Undertaker calling out Kane tonight. Will he accept? We shall see. Stay tuned. So after a quick commercial break, Kevin Kelly shows us a video which took place during the commercials where Jim Ross and Shane unsuccessfully tried to talk Vince out of fighting Austin. Vince angrily told Shane to go fetch his gym bag for him, so it appears that the owner of the WWF is fully committed to getting crippled on live television tonight. Back in the arena, Tennessee Lee introduces Double J Jeff Jarrett, who walks to the ring in his light-up jacket, no horse this time, as leaflets which advertise his concert with Sawyer Brown at Unforgiven fall from the ceiling. Amusingly, Jarrett's match with Takamichinoku begins as the leaflets are still falling from the sky. And I feel like more wrestlers should utilize that tactic as a form of distraction. Also, it probably goes without saying, but Taka's light heavyweight championship is not on the line in this match. As the contest begins, we get a split screen of Steve Blackman backstage saying that Double J has not seen the last of him. He finishes by awkwardly saying, Revenge is sweet! And then he walks off, presumably to bicycle kick whoever thought it was a good idea for him to cut a promo. Jim Ross then returns to the commentary table right before the finish of the match. With Jarrett on the outside of the ring, Taka climbed to the top rope to attempt a high-risk move, but Tennessee Lee got in his way to distract him. This allowed Club Kamikaze to sneak in the ring behind Taka and jump him, resulting in a disqualification. And yes, you heard that correctly. We now know them as Kai and Tai, but apparently they were initially given the name of Club Kamikaze before someone realized, hey, they aren't actually killing themselves when they attempt a move, so maybe we should change that. <laughs> But anyway, the Suicide Bomber Club beats the crap out of Taka, then runs away through the crowd, but super dickhead Jeff Jarrett then puts Taka in the figure four leg lock after the match anyway, just because he's a douche. Your thoughts on Jarrett versus Taka, the club kamikaze run-in, and do you all love Tennessee Lee as much as I do? Adam. I, I do enjoy Tennessee Lee. My, my I think the most awkward part about the Steve Blackman promo wasn't even Steve Blackman. It was Michael Cole trying to cut to it before Steve Blackman was available. Yeah, like, yeah. we've got Steve Blackman in the back, and he's going to talk from the locker room, and there's no video yet, but, oh, oh, there he is. We've got Steve Blackman in the back. Yeah, one of them messed up, and it was probably, I'm just going to blame it on Blackman because he was probably like, no, please, please don't make me cut a promo. Please don't make me do <laughs> please, it. Yeah. Please, don't make, please don't make me say revenge is sweet. Yeah. What you missed before they cut to him was two hands shoving him into the frame. <laughs> no, you have you have to do this. You have to do this. Uh, Andy, what about you? Did you notice that Steve Blackman kept looking out the corner of his eyes to read his lines? Uh, <laughs> yes, because, I did see that. Because actually, I yeah. picked up on that nonstop. It was ridiculous. I wasn't sure if it was reading lines or just glaring at the producer who's making him talk in front of a camera. Revenge is uh, line. Line? Oh, sweet. Revenge is sweet. There we go. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, Jason, what about you? What did you think of uh, the match or the Blackman promo, which, whichever stuck out to you? I think we beat the Blackman promo to death, so allow me to say <laughs> I was personally thrilled to see Tennessee Lee because it's been so long since I've seen my favorite self-admitted slave-owning plantation guy <laughs> on yep. television. Uh, one the of man the, who owned Harlem Heat yes. by winning them in a, in a poker game, yes. yes. One of the worst uh, racial characters in the history of wrestling. Um, so that was fun to see. Uh, the Jarrett and Taka match, I, at one point they were like wrestling full on in the middle of these flyers, just yes. surrounding them, getting stuck to their backs. I, that was, I was hoping one of them would get a paper cut and JR would go, oh my God, he's busted <laughs> wide open. Yeah. Um, I think there was actually I, a moment too. It looked like Taka actually slipped on one of the leaflets at one yes. point too. So Yeah, I saw I had, that. I had forgotten about Double J's light up jacket. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it, remembering that when it's, that came out. Was one of the J's kind of on the light of the jacket? I feel like was one of the yeah, J's. Yeah, right. the double J's, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the two J's that kind of form an arrow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and honestly, Jeff Jarrett, I think, was really wasted by the WWE. He was a guy, especially at that time and closer to his prime, he could really go in the ring, was really charismatic, had a great look. I thought they could have done a lot more with him back then. Uh, and unfortunately, they they no. You're going to be a country of, singer. Yeah, they, start, they really killed him with this hokey country gimmick. I think that just took him nowhere. Unfortunately. Yeah, but, but it sure. But it sure. Pro- I was going to say it sure propelled the road dog to new heights. <laughs> but I did completely <laughs> oh, forget yeah. the club kamikaze thing, so that was kind of cool. I was like, wait, yeah. that's kind. Of, oh no, it's not kind of yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I I did not remember them being called that at all. So that was a nice little surprise. And it was nice to see a DQ for a change on Raw. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, we, we never get those. We never get those. Or no contests, for that matter. So, uh, I have to ask, uh, we, we are uh, on Twitch right now, and uh, Cops Rock, uh, followed by, like, seven numbers, asks, If you nut in your girl's eye, does that mean she's watching your kids for you? I had to ask. That Yes, it does. Okay. I, I figured you would know the answer to that. So Henry would definitely go. know yeah. the answer to that okay. question. Well, well wait, the other thing you we... could say is that you just wanted to show her where you're coming from. So. <laughs> well, I think the bigger think he, question is... How do you is... think you got those huge pecs? That's true. I have the bigger question is, are we talking about the brown eye or? Oh. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Twitch. <laughs> For that great question. Valuable input. It is, it's very valuable. Indeed. Valuable input in more ways than one. Yes. Hey, uh, I see what you did there. Hey. This will all be edited. <laughs> uh, That's okay. So we then go backstage where Steve Austin is shown in the locker room. Jim Ross asks him if he is surprised that Vince McMahon has accepted his challenge, to which Austin says he isn't because he basically gave him no choice. We then cut back to Vince McMahon, who is getting pointers from Patterson and Briscoe as to how he can counter the Stone Cold Stunner. In case you haven't figured it out yet, this episode of Raw is focusing borderline heavily on the Austin McMahon showdown. Next up, we segue back into the arena where Farouk is walking to the ring with his ribs taped up. He grabs a mic and says he previously gave every member of the nation the chance of a lifetime by allowing them to join the group, but now he's giving them yet another chance, the chance to come down to the ring and settle the score. Sure enough, The Rock, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, and Kama Mustafa emerge at the top of the ramp. The Rock talks some trash and says they'll take Farouk up on his challenge, but before they can walk to the ring, Farouk raises his fist in the air and does the nation salute. However, he was not signaling to his former stablemates. He was signaling to Ken Shamrock and awesome promo man Steve Blackman, who are now standing behind the nation. A massive brawl breaks out until WWF referees and officials, including the barely utilized anymore Commissioner Slaughter, manage to separate them as we go to commercial. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this brawl, Jason? 
I think my favorite part of this brawl was that as Shamrock and Blackman come right down, running down the aisle, they run right past Kama, who then has <laughs> to catch up to them to get involved in the brawl. And my other question is, if Black Mon beats up the Black Men, does that count as black on black violence? I think technically it does. Okay. Yes. Just, just need the clarification. <laughs> uh, Andy, what did you think? Yeah, I just, I love the team of Black Men and Shamrock. I. I know that they have a match a little bit later, and I well, I, I just hope it stays forever. I want them to be a team for like <laughs> all time. Team, Absolutely, Team Blackrock. Mm-hmm. Um, my only question about this this that's not a match, but this segment is: Do we mention the two white guys doing the black power salute, or do we <laughs> just do we just brush that off? Let's brush that off. Well, one of them was a black man, so it's okay. St- Steve the black man, yeah. Steve the black man. <laughs> And also, the Rock shirt was amazing in this segment. Oh yes, that was back in that day when Rock would would frequently wear those phenomenal shirts. <laughs> yes, she would frequently brag about them being five hundred dollars. Meanwhile, you could you could find them at Hot Topic for fifteen bucks. <laughs> You're right, exactly. Now we've king. got now we've got four hundred dollars scarves and twenty five thousand dollars light up jackets. Yes. Yep. Uh, if you want, oh, the five hundred dollars shirts are right next to the uh, Iron Maiden shirts on the wall over there. <laughs> <laughs> Look for the right. look for the Jack Skellington panties and then turn left. I, I was shocked that they never came out with a line of rock shirts. <laughs> That's a fair point. I'd have probably bought one and looked terrible in it. I probably had a few that weren't officially rock shirts, but looked just like some of the ones you wear. I, I certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. Not shocked. Do you remember what when, when the rock? <laughs> uh, do you remember what the rock's first shirt was? By the way, I mean shirt like WWF shirt you could buy. Was it a just bring it one? No, it was, it was a giant R. <laughs> okay. It was literally go go look that up. That the Rock used to have a shirt that just had a giant R. I would, but I'm not allowed to type. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Save it for after. Okay. Look it up on look it up on your phone. Oh, okay, fair enough. I think Rhino should sue his ass because I'm pretty sure that was Rhino's last <laughs> shirt. Yeah, that's right. Wait, that means the okay, Rock so, should sue Rhino. Or yeah, or that. Either way, somebody gonna get sued. That's all I know. Damn right. Well, oh, more on that later in this episode. <laughs> so up next. Terry Funk awkwardly jogs to the ring, looking as though he just released some chocolate hostages in his pants, and he grabs and he grabs a microphone. What? So <laughs> little butt Pepsi. Oh lord. So now please note, please note that I said Terry Funk and not Chainsaw Charlie because this is his first time just going by his real name since he returned to the company in December. So Funk says that Cactus Jack quit last week, so he's in need of a new tag team partner. He then tells us he is going to quote, put some funk in your faces which I believe was Rikishi's entire gimmick. <laughs> he, tells the Phil- he tells the Philadelphia crowd that his new partner is hardcore, and he introduces us to two Cold Scorpio, who previously wrestled in ECW in this very city for two years. The one problem is that Terry was talking about putting funk in your face, and he never actually introduced him by name as Scorpio, so I'm guessing the Philadelphia crowd initially assumed he was still Flash Funk. Details, details. But anyway, the two of them are facing the Quebecers. Pretty quick match here, which ended when Jacques and Pierre went for the Quebec crash and assisted Centon bomb. But Scorpio moved out of the way, then climbed to the top rope and hit the 450 splash on Pierre for the three count. Your thoughts on the team of of Terry Funk and not Flash Funk, Andy? Uh, he almost tripped when he first came out of the back, and that made me laugh. <laughs> he like stumbled, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's, it'd be amazing if he just like fell over." I'm sad to see Chainsaw Charlie go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sad. And uh, my, my other thought was uh, I forgot how fat the Quebecers were. Like, <laughs> like I, I, I hadn't really seen the Quebecers 
in, until now. And yeah, indubitably. Uh, Jason, what about you? Uh, I get the impression, and I could be wrong, but it struck me as that though they were arguing right until up until the time he came out about what they were going to call uh, Too Cold Scorpio, because yeah. as you mentioned, Funk says he's going to put some funk in their faces, which leads you to believe Flash Funk. Um, and then when he gets into the ring, my, uh, I think Jr. says, I, "I don't know what he is, but he looks too cold." Yeah. And then, <laughs> then, they, then Michael Cole called him Flash Funk, or and then they just started calling him Too Cold. But he's got Scorpio down the side of his tights. <laughs> it was just a cluster a in terms of what his name was supposed to be. So it just struck me as they were having that argument right in Gorilla, and then while they're doing commentary, Vince is like, "Call him Scorpio, damn it!" And I don't know. <laughs> Like, Two like, funk Scorpio. Like he just walked up to Gorilla. He's like, "Well, I'm already wearing these trunks, and I don't have time to change." So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, did you have any other thoughts Sorry, about I'm, that? I'm Andy? still, I'm still no, stuck. I, on I'm, Adam. I'm, Adam. I'm still oh, stuck. I meant on, to say Adam anyway. I'm still and, uh, stuck on chocolate hostages. So. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, I don't know if anybody noticed this. That, impressively enough, uh, Scorpio was able to hit the 450 splash while Terry Funk was pulling down the rope at the same time. That was, oh, I, I didn't notice that. That was not the epitome of teamwork. So they're off to a great start, basically, is what we're saying. But now the, I'm sorry. The, I'm sorry. The again, hardcore legend, Flash Funk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm sorry to bring it down a notch, guys, but I got some sad news for you. This is the last ever Monday Night Raw match for Jacques Rougeau. Aww. Surprisingly, now surprisingly, Quebecer Pierre will have another appearance in a rather ahem, unique tournament later on in the summer. But this is the final Raw match for Jacques. Now, since the man has been around the WWF and WCW for so long up to this point, are there any particular favorite moments of his that you would like to share? I think it would have to be the uh, after the jail cell match with the big boss oh, man yeah. when he runs into it was a Bubba in the cell. Yeah, hmm. you like the way leather feels on your skin. Yes, that was probably <laughs> that was probably the most memorable moment for me. Yeah, that's 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 gonna be the one. Yeah, there was also the one at, at that same thing where it was it was a precursor to the Attitude Era because the cop is trying to fingerprint him and he's like, "You want the finger? Here's the finger," and he puts obviously flips him off. Mm-hmm. So. Good so, times. Yeah, it was either that or when he hit uh, the cattle prod on Bret Hart and the they put in the audio of the sizzling like five seconds after he had already <laughs> yes. pressed it into him. So great. <laughs> what about you, Andy? Do you have a favorite yeah, Jacques I, Rougeau I, moment? I'm going to have to go with that one, honestly, because I can't think of too many others, honestly. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, really, liked, too. I really liked the Rougeau brothers um, when they were yes. back, back in the day when they were trying to be American. Uh, like like pro American, right. but the the fans still hated them, and it was great. I like that gimmick. Yep, and also that's a great theme song they have. As oh, we're yeah. not the Mountie. <laughs> no, no, that's that was the American one. boys. Yeah, American. Boys. <laughs> yeah, all American boys. Yeah, yeah. actually, a, fun, a funny boys. side note about the all American boys song. So there's a part where they they're singing in French, and then they switch back to English and say "We love the USA." <laughs> but if you translate it from French, if you translate what they said in French. What they say in French is, we love to annoy the fans when we say, and then they switch to say, we love the USA. Nice. So it's kind of, it's a troll within the song, and That's the song's fantastic. amazing. But. It's just very important that you don't get it confused with the WCW-themed American Male song. I was just going to say, oh, I was just going to say, which one's the better theme song, that one or the American Male song? Right. Anything that's not American Males. American <laughs> Males. American Males. Yes, but of course, as you just all know, just loop that for twenty customary. minutes, and you'll you'll have the American Males theme song. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, I'll do that in the middle of the podcast. Perfect. American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males. When you say that. I'm gone. 
American males. But of course, as is customary, you know what we have to do when a legend has his final Raw match. We must now send Jacques Rougeau to Wrestler Heaven. Jason, take off your hat. Show some respect, goddammit. There we go. Okay, good, good, good. Adam, put on a hat. So next up, Luna Vachon heads to the ring dressed in a white outfit with... Uh, you're already giggling about this, uh, presumably about her outfit, I'm guessing. Uh, there's no. more her, her words to me. Yeah, the promo oh, yes. is amazing. This is a great I'm, I'm, promo. I'm going to play it because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, she heads to the ring dressed in a white outfit with a sailor cap for some reason. I believe that the look she was going for here was dominatrix crossed with Popeye villain, but I'm not sure. <laughs> she, she grabs a microphone... And, of course, I have to play the promo for you because I, I laughed my fucking ass off when she said this. So here is Luna's promo calling out Sable. Oh, oh my god. god. Have have I mentioned before how much I love Luna's oh, bonkers promos? Because I, I really, really do. So great. Uh, so so will Sable show up to confront her? We'll find out in just a minute because we have to interrupt Luna to show these second hour credits. Yeah. So Sable's music plays and it appears she has accepted the challenge, but it's actually the artist formerly known as Gold Dust dressed up like Sable instead. Luna then proceeds to tear off Sable's <laughs> evening gown. You, but this actually brings I, out. Oh, sorry. I honestly think you should post the audio from this. I'm going to use air quotes <laughs> here. Match. Just because Goldust is amazing in this, oh in this God, match. So terrible. Stop it. Stop that. Oh, let me help you. Ow. You're hurting me. Stop. Stop it, Luna. This is a repulsive display. You just got me naked. You're... That's it. That is it. I'm taking my pumps off and I'm going to whoop some butt. 
That's why he's still employed 18 years later, because the man can sell it. But of course, this actually brings out the real Sable, who takes offense to someone besmirching her good name. <laughs> she and Luna roll around on the mat for a bit until WWF officials run into the ring and separate them before any clothes can come off, thereby killing 10,000 boners in the crowd. Your thoughts on this segment, Adam? Oh my god, amazing. Not so much the Sable part, but the Luna and Golas part. It was just classic. But but Luna referencing her period was amazing. It's <laughs> <laughs> the whole fucking thing. It was just so ridiculous. I'm with I'm with you. Bonkers Luna is one of my favorite things of all time. Absolutely. Uh, Andy, what about you? Not much to add. I mean, it's smart <laughs> of them to I liked I like that, you know, they're trying to they know that they've got this main event and they're trying to continue to keep people tuned into their show instead of going over to Nitro and their whole like oh well, we better not cut away yet to the to the theme you know we've got Luna coming out which you know triggers immediately oh Sable might come out we might see tits uh, so mm-hmm. you know teasing and using using her in the middle the, kind of like the mid breaking point between the two shows is brilliant for sure and uh, Jason what about you yeah I, I like the uh, the combination of Luna's uh, promo about her flow while wearing an entirely white outfit <laughs> nice uh contrast there uh i thought goldust's uh, imitation of sable was dead on except his boobs were not fake enough uh they should have yeah. been a little more and uh you know the only thing missing from you was joey styles screaming can't fight you know other than exactly that. and actually on the note of the fake boobs you do recall that goldust had petitioned he wanted to get fake boobs at one point in the <laughs> wwf he would do you know the story how he literally went to vince and said he wanted to get breast implants i've heard no. it and one real- oh look that up it's amazing one really has to wonder what the hell was going on in the Runnels household. I'm just... <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually shocked that Vince said no to that. I figured he would be like, yeah, fucking get him out. <laughs> and that brings up the question, if he did get breast implants, would you have to censor them on TV if he whipped them out? I don't know. I don't know. I'm well, we, sure. did, we, we found out they had to censor him on this episode a little bit later oh. on. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> All right. So... Our next match is a non-title tag match. NWA Tag Team Champions, the new Midnight Express, accompanied by Dan the Beast Severn and Jim Cornette, versus Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman. Before the match, Shamrock and Severn awesomely stare each other down face-to-face, with Jim Ross informing us that each man has beaten the other once in UFC. Do we ever get a Shamrock versus Severn match in the WWF? I honestly don't remember, but I'm certainly hoping that we do. And unfortunately, speaking of boner killers, the referee informs Severn he has to leave the ringside area for some reason, so the Beast heads backstage. And speaking of UFC and the Beast, we're actually taping this on the night of UFC 200, where Brock Lesnar will be returning to the Octagon to face Mike Hunt. Uh, pardon me, Mark Hunt. Uh-huh. Any predictions? Any predictions as to how that will go? I actually feel pretty confident that Brock is going to win, so I will fully take all the credit and/or ridicule if I'm wrong. <laughs> but would anybody like to to make a prediction? It wouldn't shock me if Hunt wins this. It's, it, the areas where Lesnar is strong in his takedowns are areas where Hunt is actually very skilled. Uh, and one of the things Brock always had trouble with was somebody who could really uh, wallop him with one shot and get him down, and that's exactly what Hunt excels as, that one-punch power. Um, I would like to say I think the best comment going into this fight goes to Tommaso Ciampa, who uh, tweeted that he wants to live in a world where Randy Orton jumps in the cage during the fight and RKO's Brock Lesnar out of nowhere. And that would just be phenomenal. Adam, what do you think? Lesnar, win or loss? Not seeing Ciampa's tweet, that was exactly the joke that I was just about to make. 
Oh, I was gonna say damn. I was gonna say Mark Hunt wins wins by disqualification, or I guess Brock would win by disqualification when when Randy runs in and RKO's him. Um, I know uh, absolutely nothing about UFC, so I have uh, I have to uh, abstain from this discussion. Me too. Me too. No opinion. Yeah. No, you're not, not even gonna try to take. No, I, I just I just hope that uh, Brock loses because I don't like Brock Lesnar. So <laughs> there you go. I wonder what that'll do for SummerSlam when he if he does lose. I, I guess we'll find out. But anyway, so back to the match itself. A few amusing highlights from it. Number one, Jim Ross openly shits on the bombastic Bob and bodacious <laughs> Barney nicknames. So Number great. two, Bob Holly delivers an incredibly shitty-looking Hurricane oh. Rana to Blackman, which, of course, draws a lot of boos from the mm-hmm. Philly crowd. And number three, the referee ruled it a double disqualification for seemingly no reason whatsoever. Yeah, what the hell? Both teams... They were both in the ring brawling for a while, so apparently the ref just decided to end the contest entirely instead of clearing out the illegal team members. Now, was it just me, or have we seen matches continue during much lengthier brawls? But I don't know. But anyway, what are your thoughts on the match, and are you also amped up for Shamrock versus Severn? Jason? I am amped up for Shamrock versus Severn, and I'm unfortunately here to tell you it doesn't happen. Um, oh, damn it. I, I don't remember the reasoning, but if that match just, I don't think it ever happened in the WWE. I think Severn left, or Shamrock got hurt, and then Severn left in the meantime. And I, I think they built to it several times, and it just never delivered, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, the only other notes I really have, I, I mentioned the. the um, the horrible Hurricane Rana attempt. The only thing I was a little disappointed with was that Bob Holly didn't blame his opponent for it and just beat the ever-loving crap out of him, which yeah. is typical Bob Holly botch move. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty much what you said. No contest, maybe on both teams not leaving the ring, but I don't think I, I don't see how you turn that into a double disqualification. But this is a show where we had a disqualification in a match with no disqualifications. So <laughs> was was Charles Robinson the referee, perchance? <laughs> I think it was actually Tim White who hadn't killed himself yet. Oh, there you go. Oh. That's a reference to this week's Raw. Uh, the, the only note I have from this match is, oh, thank goodness, a new Midnight Express match. Um, yep. But yeah, Jim, Jim Ross openly shitting on bombastic and bodacious is one of my favorite <laughs> things from this episode. And rightfully so. Absolutely, 100%. Totally and, uh, justified. Yeah, Andy. I, yeah, Andy, what, what were your thoughts? More Blackman and Shamrock, just just, just <laughs> every week, every week. I agree. Blackrock. Totally agree. And did, is it just me, or did they really not put over the NWO tag titles at all? I don't think they even mentioned them once. The N- the NWO tag titles? NWA tag titles. <laughs> Wrong show, Jason. The, I'm amazed the NWO didn't have their own tag team titles, quite <laughs> frankly, at some point. But, but yeah, but yeah, you're right. They basically, they're like, oh, it's a non-title match, so automatically I assumed the new Midnight Express would be jobbing, but why not just have the belts on the line if it was going to end in double DQ anyway? I don't know. Anywho. Or put over the belts and make them back. sound important. I don't know. That just seemed weird to me. Or that. <laughs> that's why, that's why it was a failed experiment. <laughs> Spoiler, it's a failed experiment. <laughs> who, needs, um, who needs two sets of tag champs on one, on one, brand, on one company? Yeah. Well, we'll find out if that happens on the <laughs> WWE in a few weeks. <laughs> After the draft. So next up, we go backstage where Kevin Kelly is interviewing Vince McMahon. You may not have realized this, but he's going to be fighting Stone Cold Steve Austin tonight. What? Kevin asks, I know. Kevin asks him if he's afraid, but Vince says he has proved he's not afraid of Ted Turner or the United States government, and he sure as hell isn't afraid of Steve Austin. Funny that he mentioned having to face off with the U.S. government, but he didn't mention that he had to go head-to-head with them because he was accused of distributing steroids to his wrestlers. I guess it slipped his mind. I think it slipped his mind. We go back to the arena where the headbangers are already in the ring, but before we can find out who their opponents are, the lights go out, and once again, instead of Kane, it turns out to be The Undertaker, and he's still in a bad mood. 
To their credit, Mosh and Thrasher attack him first, but the end result is the same. Taker lays them both out with a tombstone and chokeslam, respectively. The lights then go out again, and this time it actually is Kane and Paul Bearer who stand at the top of the ramp. Bearer has a mic and says if Taker wants to fight Kane, he will have to do it on Bearer's terms. Next week, Kane will meet him in the very same cemetery where he desecrated his parents' tombstones, and if you haven't gotten a chance to see that segment yet, I recommend that you do because... It was a graveyard smash, literally. (laughs) But anyway, this is one of those segments where you really have to suspend your wrestling disbelief. Taker badly wants to get his hands on Kane, but he won't just run down the aisle after him where he could presumably easily catch him since we have yet to see Kane move faster than a brisk walk. Never (laughs) understood that. Um, But anyway, your thoughts on this Undertaker-Kane face-off, Andy? I'm looking forward to it. They've been building it up perfectly. I mean, we saw them kind of going at it, you know, at, at WrestleMania, but, you know, we get more, and I want more of this match in these two because this buildup was good. I don't know about that. I can't remember the cemetery match if it was worth anything or the, the confrontation in the cemetery, but um, we'll find out next week. I guess week. we'll find Can out we? next week. Um, and my question, one question I had was uh, when Kane d- did his, like, turnbuckle explosion. I can't remember if it was uh, Jerry the King Lawler or who. They're like, what's he doing? Like, was this the first time he'd actually exploded the turnbuckles <laughs> yeah. or no? Or is, no, they just, it, definitely okay. not. I didn't think so. I was just really confused because like, wait, wait, what's he, what's he going to do? Well, he's going to make fire up here. That's what he always does. So, yeah. I don't know. Oh, you, oh he's going to do what he's been doing the past four months? Right. He, st- he still acts surprised today. So, I don't <laughs> think that should be surprising at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, Jason, what about you? Did you have any thoughts on uh, on this? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, completely... It's nice that they did this then, because in this day and age, in 2016, there's no way someone would believe a scenario where two brothers are fighting, and one challenges the other to go to a completely unrelated wrestling outside venue <laughs> for a fight with no rules. I just... I'm dying to see next week who gets deleted. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Adam, do you have any further thoughts on this one? I just, I just want to know what happens like if the Undertaker comes out and say in this instance the Headbangers just run away. Does he then just like have to awkwardly stop and go, oh, okay, and then just walk to the back in the blue light again? No, he has to say, well, Kane, this is what would have happened if they stayed. <laughs> I would have, I would have tombstoned him. Come here, Tony Chimmel. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's of course leading up to the first ever Inferno match at Unforgiven, uh, as well as the Sable Luna match being the first ever Evening Gown match. So you, we're really segueing into some, uh, some heavy Attitude Era-ness here. Obviously, throughout the Attitude Era, we get way more Evening Gown matches than Inferno matches, but <laughs> I'd like to combine the two sometimes, see how that works. I just enjoyed when they gave up on, uh, on calling them Evening Gown matches and just like, you know what, it's a brawn panties match. It's just a brawn panties match. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Get him out! <laughs> so we now go to a pre-taped vignette where we are on the set with Val Venus as he films his newest movie, Lust in Space, with two eager young women. For my money, though, if he's going to be filming a porno set in space, I'm of the opinion that those women should be dressed in green costumes with six eyes apiece. But maybe that's just my personal preference. Uh, your thoughts on this Val Venus vignette, Adam? Classic. I, <laughs> I, uh, I thought they were funny when they, were, when they aired at the time. I mean, obviously not much was going to come of the character. Obviously, a, the former porn star gimmick is not going to be world champion, but I enjoyed the I enjoyed the vignettes. And, actually, it also shows you where we are currently in terms of movies, because last week it was as hard as it gets, 
instead of as good as it gets. Now this week it's lost in space instead of lost in space. So basically as the weeks go on, you can kind of get a feel for which movies are coming out in theaters, I suppose. Jason, what did you think of the, the I, Val Venus vignette? I remember 19-year-old me just eating up every one of these double entendre jokes. <laughs> exactly, uh, exactly. And finding them absolutely hilarious. Uh, watching this, the thing that struck me was that as the blonde slides in, she clearly has her breast fall out of the fur coat that she's wearing <laughs> yeah. to cover it up. And you see a very obvious blur. Uh, which they clearly left in instead of reshooting to sell the gimmick. I thought that was a beautiful touch. Indeed. There's some beautiful touching going on as well. <laughs> and uh, Andy, what did you think? Val cracks me up. Um, the, the first time they blurred a woman uh, that was walking away from him at the beginning of the promo, they cut the blur off for like a split second at the end, and you could tell she was wearing clothes. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so that, that wasn't done well. Um, but otherwise, I, I very much enjoy Val Venus. But, Excellent. And to wow. Adam's point, no, the porn star will never be a world heavyweight championship, but maybe a multiple-time intercontinental champion. Multiple time. I'm just saying. Yeah. Prestige. Maybe, or a European champion. <laughs> European on that's a different. Ki- that's a different kind of porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we go back to the arena where D-Generation X heads to the ring. Owen Hart then appears at the top of the ramp and asks which one of them wants to face him tonight and get his ass kicked. Triple H amusingly says that every member of DX wrote a 500-word essay. Andy, surely you can appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Explaining, explaining why they should be the one to face Owen. And Billy Guns was the best because he put it in a clear plastic binder and drew illustrations of Owen with several <laughs> barnyard animals. I'll admit, I chuckled. I... So as such, tonight's match will be Owen Hart versus Mr. Ass. However, before the match begins, LOD2000 and Sonny head to the ring, so it appears that Owen will have some backup for a change. Of course... We can't forget what the real main attraction is tonight, so we cut away from LOD's entrance to show Vince McMahon backstage working out his biceps. If you took a drink every time the Austin-McMahon match was mentioned tonight, you would have died of alcohol poisoning before the second hour of the show (laughs) even began. (laughs) Triple H and X-Pac join the commentary team during this match, which is great for the viewers at home if you like to hear Sonny referred to as Skanky and Owen Hart as Owen Fart. Really clever stuff. The match was all right, and they actually gave them about eight and a half minutes of camera time, plus a commercial break, so it was probably close to 11 minutes in total. The match ended when Billy caught Owen and hit him with a power slam, but then he got too cocky and started celebrating, so Owen just rolled him up for the surprisingly clean three count. Owen immediately rolls out to the floor and joins LOD2000 outside as DX enters the ring in protest, including Road Dog loudly yelling that the count was, quote, a fucking two! Your thoughts on <laughs> Owen versus Billy, DX's commentary, and the new and improved LOD 2000. Jason. Uh, I have the same notes as you do in terms of the commentary, just X-Pac Owen fart. I'm like, really, that's the best you could come up with? But I did find it interesting that they come out and, and Owen's like, well, which one am I going to fight? And I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, I'm going to guess the only one that's in his wrestling gear. <laughs> I, in terms of the surprise, that didn't exactly maintain given that. Uh, I am curious to see, I wish they had shown us the uh, photos that Billy drew of Owen with farm animals because, you know, <laughs> enough is enough and it's time for free range. I'm just saying. Oh, Jesus. Zing. <laughs> oh, Lord. Adam, what about you? What did you think um, about the uh, the match and uh, and the DX commentary? I think I feel like watching it, uh, watching it back, I feel like that um, the other guys in DX didn't know what Triple H was going to say in terms of what their essays were <laughs> because yeah, some yeah. of those, those reactions seem fairly genuine. I did notice at one point, I, I can't remember who it was on commentary, 
and it seemed like a pretty good dig to me. Somebody called Owen Hart Calgary's favorite son. Um, right, yeah. And then is it... And there were lots of Calgary sons. <laughs> he was, what, one of 13 yeah, or something right. like that? Did did the end of the match seem a little botchy to anyone else? Like, maybe that wasn't the planned finish? Because one, one of Billy's shoulders was obviously up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, the, pl- I'm pretty sure the planned finish was a DQ. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more than likely. Safe bet. Yeah, uh, Andy, what did you think? Uh, I, you, you stole my uh, my line about the Triple H essays. I was really ex- excited about that as a teacher. Um, the, <laughs> the only other thing I noted, because I didn't really care for the match all that much, uh, was the the fact that LOD 2000 and 1998 are super futuristic because they're bikers who are, actually wear helmets. And I don't, <laughs> and that, you know, that, you never see that. So I don't know. I actually think they, like, the shoulder pads. Now they're shoulder pads. They used to have spikes on both sides. They only have spikes on one side yeah, now, which makes them look a lot less cool. Yeah, I it think. does. I, I agree with you on that. Aren't they opposite sides, though? Yeah. So maybe they form into one giant LOD. Like Voltron oh, there or something. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Go. Actually, the fun... Don't ask, don't ask which part Sunny plays. <laughs> oh, God. And her outfit is still amazing. She'll make the head. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, did you say make or give? I think I misheard you. Uh, either way, um, okay. that, well, actually, didn't didn't Triple H say that on commentary? Yeah, that, she was holding the helmets, yeah. so he made a, he made a giving head reference. Yes, yeah, there was one of those. Uh, the other thing I found really interesting was at one point when Owen Hart's on the floor and DX is about to beat the crap out of him, LOD comes around and you know shoes them away and everything. And then later on in the same match, Billy Gunn's outside and he's staring down LOD, and DX is just too busy cracking their own jokes <laughs> to give a crap about yeah. their partner who's about to get his his rear end kicked. It was, it was kind of funny the way they did that. And I will say, too, even though we kind of know, it's funny seeing where the LOD thing goes, because right now they are still super over. So it's funny to see how far that goes down very soon. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, again, without spoiling anything, that's going to get a little, uh, little, uh, yeah, not, not so great. But once the Owen Hart Billy Gunn match ends, we then cut backstage where we see Vince McMahon walking toward the ring alongside Pat Patterson, Gerald Briscoe, and Commissioner Slaughter. However, no sooner does Vince enter the ring than Shane McMahon also walks to ringside to plead with his father not to go through with the match. Once again, he is unsuccessful at talking Vince out of it, so Shane solemnly exits the ring. Shortly thereafter, Stone Cold Steve Austin heads down the ramp, so it looks like it is finally time for our main event WWF Championship match, Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. Before the match begins, Austin does his usual turnbuckle poses and intentionally shoulders Vince in the middle of the ring to disrespect him. We then get the very famous visual of Austin and Vince McMahon face-to-face, with Austin looking toward the crowd and chuckling, but when he turns back toward the boss, Vince slaps him in the face, drawing a huge oh from the crowd. Awesome moment. Austin is ready to start the match, but Vince grabs a mic. He reminds Stone Cold that earlier tonight he had said he could beat Vince McMahon with one arm tied behind his back, so he wants to see if he's a man of his word. Briscoe pulls out a piece of rope, and sure enough, Austin does agree to have his right arm tied behind his back, or, as Vince refers to it, his stunner arm. Now, one major plus is that the fans are absolutely rabid for this segment. However, one major minus is that they then began to chant, Vince is gay. Yep. Yep. That's right, Vince McMahon is outsmarting Steve Austin, so clearly that must mean he's homosexual and that's a bad thing apparently clearly there was no be a star campaign in the year 1998 (laughs) not at all 
Austin then asks the crowd to give him a hell yeah if they want him to whip Vince's ass, and of course they do. Vince then asks the crowd to give him a hell yeah if they want him to to whip Austin's ass, but they amusingly respond with a hell no instead. Pretty funny, but they haven't redeemed themselves for the anti-gay chant yet. (laughs) So after a bit more stalling by Vince, including pausing to put in a mouth guard, it appears the referee is finally ready to ring the bell, but before he can do so, Dude Love interrupts. He says he's here to bring peace to the war zone, and he can't let the match take place because Vince signs the checks that allow him to live the life he likes to live. And angered Vince wants the match to take place, so he shoves Dude down to the canvas. Foley gets back up and says that Vince just made a huge mistake, and then he corners him and attempts to put him in the mandible claw. Austin then comes over to intervene, but instead, Dude Love puts the mandible claw on Austin. A confused Vince McMahon then exits the ring, so it appears that the match they advertised all night long will not take place after all. Dude Love then continues beating on Austin, who still has one arm tied behind his back. Vince is being held back by his stooges, so Dude tells him he can get back into the ring if he wants, and he will take on Vince as well. Austin rolls to the outside and briefly mounts some offense when Dude Love follows him, but Foley gets the better of him, and we go off the air with Foley putting Austin in the mandible claw on top of the announce table. After all that buildup, what are your thoughts on the Austin McMahon match and Dude Love's interruption, Andy? If I were a fan at that time, after all that buildup in the building, I would be super pissed off. Yeah. Like, I I was pissed off because I forgot that Dude Love came out and I forgot that that became like a kind of a little storyline there. Uh, and I should have seen it coming because the episode before, you know, Mankind walks off and says, you're not going to see, well, uh, uh, Cactus Jack. You know, you're not going to see Cactus Jack anymore. But I, I would have been absolutely rabidly pissed. I would have been yeah. like, you know, we didn't come here to see McFoley come out here and ruin this match that you've been building up and building up and building up. But at the same time, looking at the, the larger picture, it was a smart move. You don't want to have that match yet. You want to build that animosity even more, so... It, Absolutely. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was all right. It was. It was a good segment. Um, but I would have been super pissed at the time. For sure, I think I would have been too. Uh, Jason, what do you think? Uh, I think for me, the stuff that stood out was was some of the pre-match stuff. Um, I'm not sure historically, but I think this might have been the first time the WWE did the shot of following the guy through Gorilla as he makes his way up, like they did with McMahon. Oh, yeah. uh, Goldberg, I don't think had even started doing that in WCW yet. I think he was still just doing a regular entrance. Uh, so I found that a little bit interesting because I don't remember seeing that up until that point. Um, during the intro, somebody, I think it was King, asked uh, Ross why he was so upset about Jim, about uh, Vince becoming champion. And JR with the line of the night says, we're not the company that likes to have senior citizens as champions. Yeah. Uh, yep. I thought that was great. And the thing that most stood out for me was uh, when Vince got in there, the way they brought the crowd down and just built that anticipation for Austin's music to hit. Yes. Uh, and and that, that they did such a good job of that back then, and that's something that they've really kind of lost their way in regards to. But you could see how just just having him come out there and stand there and not playing Austin's music and waiting for that glass to shatter, the crowd was on pins and needles just waiting mm-hmm. to explode. So beautifully done at that point. And then the do love thing happened, and, and you know it was, it was a way to get out of what you had promised without delivering it and saving it for later. I wasn't a fan of it, but I can understand why they did it. Yep. Uh, and Vince and, uh, and Vince not having know. any music, I think, really added into that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember watching it back now because you're so used to No Chance in Hell at this point, uh, given that it's been 15 years since that debuted. 
watching watching them come out with no music was just so weird to me watching this uh, a couple of days ago but yeah like like you said Jason that was that's exactly exactly the environment that they wanted building that anticipation and that was the be- that was the great thing about Steve Austin's theme song is there's no there's no chord at the beginning there's no it's a it's glass and then you're in, you're into it right. and so it's, it's it's i think it's perfect for this situation um as for the match itself watching it back i i kind of i, I almost regressed back to 1998 well yeah the <laughs> these segment um just watching it because i had forgotten about the dude love thing even though i think it's in, it's part of uh 2k 16 um and just going and uh, just watching that play out, i was like oh fuck yeah i for- completely forgot that this happened and it just takes you right back there to going like i want to i i want to know what happens next i want to see where this goes what the hell is mick foley doing as dude love and where are we going from here yeah, it's kind of funny that it would be of his personalities that Dude Love would be the one to interrupt this segment because you would figure, okay, Cactus Jack is gone. Mankind seems like I know, but yeah, so Dude Love, why not? So I think my favorite part though was, is going if, if you watch on the network and you get the extra attitude part at the very end, him leaving the ring. Oh yeah, we're gonna touch on it. Him leaving the ring and then going, "Where's my theme music?" <laughs> yep, <laughs> I was just about to touch on that. Uh, so I assume you all watch this on the WWE Network, right? Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Well, if you at home want to watch this episode back and you don't have the network or you just want to listen to what the fuck we're talking about, there is a part on the network that is called uh, Extra Attitude, I believe. It shows seven and a half minutes of bonus footage that occurred after Raw went off the air. So basically, Dude Love tells the crowd Stone Cold isn't that tough after all. And as you said, Adam, asks for his music to play as Jim Ross is untying Austin. Foley heads backstage, and Austin soon runs up the ramp after him, but before he can make it to the curtain, D-Generation X comes out and jumps him. They brawl back in the ring, and then of all people, Kane heads to the ring as well, followed by LOD 2000. Austin, DX, and Animal roll to the outside, leaving Kane alone in the ring with Hawk, who he proceeds to choke. The Undertaker then joins the fray and starts punching his brother, culminating with him clotheslining Kane over the top rope. He then follows him to the outside, and they brawl backstage as Austin fights with DX on the other side of the ring. Eventually, Austin and Road Dog are alone in the middle of the ring, so Austin hits him with a stunner and pins him? Yeah. Yes. Yes, Tim White counts to three because this was apparently a match. <laughs> and Tony Chimmel says the winners are Austin, The Undertaker, and LOD 2000. Austin then grabs a microphone and calls Vince, quote, a chicken shit bastard, which thankfully is not censored on the network. He says he didn't come to Philadelphia to get someone's fingers shoved down his throat, Valvinus, and he asked the crowd to give him a <laughs> asked the crowd to give him a hell yeah if he thinks someone is going to get their ass whipped next week. And that is how the episode ends on the network. Basically, this extra attitude segment was just airing the crowd pleasing filler that occurs after Raw goes off the air. But I suppose it was kind of entertaining. Did any of you enjoy the the extra attitude segment? I did, but I was as confused as you were about. Uh, wait, that was a match. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess it was never announced. Ring a bell. As a sure, match. why not? It was just, yeah, it was just. Oh, Tim White's making a pinfall for some reason. Yeah, that was the typical, and, and to this day, they still do these kinds of dark segments where you have yeah. just kind of a match out of nowhere. Uh, it was kind of cool to see it on the network as an extra to the show because most people don't get to see those things unless you're in the live right. crowd. Didn't they uh, release so, a DVD set of them at some point? Yeah, I think that was mostly kind of the pro- the after promos joking around. I don't think they showed the matches and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was kind of cool. I liked it. Right. And Andy, did you watch that? Part? Yeah, it was confusing. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I had no idea, like, 
like you said, you know, was why was it an actual match? Who, would, who of the people who were out there, who was actually in the match? Was it a three on four match? Was Sonny in the match? I don't know. It, it made it made no sense to me. It made no sense. Again, we're using again we're using air quotes around the word match. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and we got a clean pinfall. It wasn't a DQ, so there you go. More progress. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't count because it wasn't on TV. That's right. So we'll get to our overall impressions of the show in just a moment, but for now, let's go to the wrap up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more homes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rhodes and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they cluckin'. The WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. So last week, Nitro defeated Raw in the ratings by the very narrow score of 4.6 to 4.4, giving WCW yet another victory, but showing that the WWF was really starting to come on strong. So how did Raw fare tonight? Well, ladies and gentlemen, as you probably guessed by now, after 84 consecutive victories for Nitro, this was the night where Raw finally ended the streak and defeated Nitro in the ratings 4.6 to 4.2. Break out the champagne because the WWF is back on top. Now, prior to this, the last time Raw beat Nitro head-to-head in the ratings was June 10, 1996, where Raw was headlined by an Undertaker-British Bulldog match, and Nitro ended with Kevin Nash debuting in WCW and siding with Scott Hall and also giving us this famous soundbite. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. We ain't here to play. So yeah, it's probably not a coincidence that Raw did not win the ratings for a while once Hall and Nash teamed up, but that 20-month Nitro winning streak has now come to a conclusion. Now, we obviously saw that Raw was pimping the Austin-McMahon match all night long, but exactly how much anticipation did that generate for the main event itself? Well... The quarter-hour segment with the Austin McMahon showdown drew a 6.0 rating, which was at the time the highest quarter-hour rating in the head-to-head history of Raw vs. Nitro. So clearly, all that hype throughout the night was quite effective in building up the viewer's interest. So what was WCW's response to their ratings loss? Well, I happened to find the PW Torch article from April 14, 1998, and here is what it says. WCW's take on the situation is that they were without their big guns, specifically Hulk Hogan was not on Nitro this week, that the WWF hot-shotted an angle that can't be topped, that the WWF will turn off viewers because they didn't deliver the match as promised, and that Raw's win is merely a one-week blip. (laughs) I guess we'll see how that goes. In an interesting bit of timing, WCW lost in the ratings in the very same week that the company's most beloved star of all time became mired in controversy. Ric Flair no-showed Nitro after having also no-showed the previous episode of Thunder. Sure enough, he ends up no-showing next week's episode of Thunder as well. However, according to Rick, he had asked for time off in advance to take his son Reed to a wrestling tournament, but Eric Bischoff was not pleased about the fact that Ric Flair was not available at a time when the WWF was starting to gain so much momentum. So what does Bischoff end up doing? He sues Ric Flair for breach of contract in order to make an example out of him. The end result is that Flair ends up being stuck at home while the legal situation plays itself out, and at a time when the WWF is now turning into serious competition, Ric Flair will not be seen on WCW television for another five months. I have to assume that Bischoff would probably want to do over on that one if he could have it. But as for tonight, 
What could you have been watching on Nitro instead of Raw? Let's find out. Scott Steiner defeated Fit Finley. Ultimo Dragon defeated Lenny Lane. Johnny Grunge defeated Chavo Guerrero. That's just sad. Chris Benoit defeated Glacier. Lex Luger defeated Buff Bagwell by disqualification. Chris Jericho defeated Super Callow to retain his Cruiserweight Championship. Perry Saturn defeated Van Hammer. Goldberg defeated Rocco Rock. Two Public Enemy singles matches in one night. Kurt Hennig defeated Yuji Nagata. Booker T defeated La Parca to retain his world television title. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Rage to retain his U.S. title, the epic Page versus Rage feud. Rick Steiner defeated Conan. And Kevin Nash defeated Sting by disqualification, so Sting retained his WCW World Heavyweight Championship. 13 matches on the card tonight. Unfortunately, aside from the main event, I think they all sound pretty skippable. <laughs> what do you think about that Nitro card? Jason, didn't you say you actually watched some of this I, show? I sped through some of it just to kind of get a feel for what it was like. Uh, uh, and, you know, reading down that unimpressive list of matches that you just did, <laughs> it's pretty clear. Uh, but I did find it interesting that they tried to steal a note from uh, the WWE's page and uh, end their main event with a disqualification. <laughs> they, they certainly did. With an NWO run-in, yeah. of all things. Go figure. Shocking. Uh, Absolutely shocking. Adam, what do you think? Is that a Nitro you would have wanted to watch? <laughs> uh, I never wanted to watch Nitro in the first place, so uh, <laughs> I do give them credit, though. I think it's, I find it interesting listening uh, listening to this to episodes of this show where the, the, the WCW championship seemed to be on the line on Nitro fairly mm -hmm. frequently. Yeah, yeah. That was their way of trying to get people to uh, switch yeah. over to Raw, I suppose, or to prevent them from switching right. over to Raw. So it obviously did not work tonight because they would rather have seen uh, Steve Austin fight the owner of the company than see uh, Kevin Nash uh, take on Sting in a title match. So, well, speaking, speaking uh, of the main event on uh, Nitro, they they even went to the expense of flying out Michael Buffer to do the intros uh, oh, for that match to have it end in a disqualification. It just seemed weird. Which, of course, I think a lot of people forget that uh, Michael Buffer on Nitro was the reason Triple H started oh, doing yeah. Let's Get right. Ready to Suck It. Yeah on Raw, which he still was doing up to a couple of years ago when uh, when DX did their reunion. For the third time. Um, for the 3,000th time. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I think, yeah, Andy, what do you think? Sorry. Is that a Nitro you would have wanted to see? Eh, nah, not really. Uh, it doesn't really sound like it appeals to me all that much. I normally don't... I didn't care what most of the stuff that WCW was putting out that time anyway, but um, aside from the Cruiserweight stuff, which was pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd pass. So you're saying you don't want to see Johnny Grunge job out Chavo Grunge? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. Fair enough. And Adam, were you going to say something else? I was just, just going to mock them for the whole one-week blip thing, hot-shotting an angle that definitely didn't become the hottest angle in professional wrestling. Certainly not. Hey, let's uh, not sell that Rocco Rock Goldberg match here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. By the way, by the All way. 30 seconds of it, I'm guessing. By the way, who who was Goldberg blowing? Do we know? Um, I'm going to say, I guess, Bischoff, maybe? I don't know. Hogan? Who knows? <laughs> Got to get that push going somehow. Well, yeah, honestly, here's the thing. People can talk about Goldberg's wrestling ability, and, and it's, it is what it is, but at the same time, the, it was one of the few legitimate top flight, in terms of fan interest, stars WCW was able to create. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really, yeah, exactly. Really, on their own. really came out of nowhere. It was built entirely by the way they booked him early on. So, you know, it is what it is in terms of in the ring, but you got to give them credit for the way they, they built that guy. Yeah, one of the few stars they actually made yeah. instead of just being like, hey, here's Hulk Hogan. Remember him from the WWF, huh, right? All right, and on that note, let's go to 
the raw synopsis. So, what were your overall thoughts on this monumental episode of Raw, which finally ended WCW's lengthy ratings winning streak? Andy, let's start with you. It was a good episode. There were a few moments that were a little strange. Uh, the build-up itself maybe went on... I don't want to say too much because that... I mean, obviously, they, they won the, the ratings war this week. Um, but overall, it was a good show. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was neat to go back and relive it. And it's just it was just overall a great episode of Raw. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And uh, Jason, what about you? What did you think? Uh, it was funny watching it in the contrast of today's product because I haven't watched any Attitude Raws in, in you know a little while. Um, and I remember thinking how I'm one of those people that looks back so fondly on the Attitude Era and kind of going back and watching it, it's like, well, the, the matches weren't that great. Uh, but I think where no. the Attitude Era really dominated today's product is in character development. Everybody yeah. on that show had a character, had a storyline. You knew who they were. You had a reason to care about them. Uh, they had been built up. Every story had a reason. There was something behind it. Every feud. Uh, it was just so much better built at that point than it is now. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. And, we've talked, and Adam, what about we've you? We've talked about that on the rundown time and time again. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is, it is quite obvious why this was the episode that ended the streak. Um, and I mean, we can, we can poke fun at them, you know, constantly throughout the night. You know, the main event, take, keep, keep tuned for the main event. The main event's, you got Austin versus McMahon, Austin versus McMahon, main event, come on, main event coming up. This is happening at any time. But obviously it's because they, they didn't want people changing the channel. They didn't want people to think, I wonder if I, if I, if I just switch over, I can come back for the end of it. Cause I mean, that was the entire thing was, was we don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen at any time. Here comes Vince McMahon. He's walking down the hall. It could right. be next. Yeah. They did and tease so, that a couple of times. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's just, it was just, it was gr- like, like we said, uh, from top to bottom was just booked out perfectly. I think to keep the viewer there, to keep yeah, the viewer definitely. on USA and, and not have them change the channel. And like we said, you can get pissed off about the about the uh, the non match uh, giveaway and like the false promotion for for the main event, but it it keeps you hooked in to be like, well, what the fuck is Mick Foley doing? And when are, when are we actually going to get to see Austin versus McMahon? And when and, right. you know maybe maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year. And so you know you got to keep watching to to see when that's going to happen. Yeah, and Genius. I think it's actually funny because we don't I don't think we actually get an Austin versus McMahon match. Uh you know, obviously we get the Royal Rumble where they they start one and two, but we don't get an actual Austin Vince match I think until next February. So it's pretty much just a lot of them, you know, clashing week to week. Uh you know, Austin, Vince I should say sending out, you know, his minions on his right, behalf, but right. um yeah, we, they they tease the Austin McMahon match. And then we don't actually get it, I think, yeah, for about 10 months from now. So they, they do a good job holding off on it and really uh, holding that carrot out there. And that's probably a reason they end up winning so many <laughs> ratings wars that they're not just like, oh, Austin versus Vince every week. Speaking of things, speaking of things that don't happen anymore, slow burn feuds. Yeah. 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 Yeah, this actually was a really slow burn feud, too, because, uh, well, if you go back and listen to the past couple episodes of the show, uh, there were times where, you know, you'd have Austin one week talking shit on Vince and then next week Vince would come out and talk some shit on Austin and you know there was one where Austin would you know give Vince a stunner and then the next week he'd punch him in the balls and Vince would cut a promo and all this sort of thing but this was the one where they actually finally hyped it up like we have to you know we have to fight now mm-hmm. this is what we have to do and they didn't pay it off but uh, you know they, they definitely did a good job hyping it up I guess my my one criticism would be that this basically did seem like you know a one angle type of show mm-hmm. But when the angle is that strong, 
it's pretty effective. Right, right. Well, uh, maybe maybe Undertaker and Kane. Undertaker came out twice oh, to yeah, hype that up. D- uh, DX was DX, out twice. DX and, L- DX and LOD. Yeah. yeah sorry, yeah. LOD 2000. Sorry. Was, was, uh, was Stanky? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And Owen Fart. But yeah, and any further thoughts to add to uh, the show? I feel like I need to go back and watch more of these episodes just because I, I miss seeing Owen Hart matches. <laughs> Well, yeah, but what, why don't you why don't you watch along with the podcast and you can follow along every week? <laughs> uh, but yeah, if there's nothing else, with that said, I think we can finish up this epic streak-ending episode of the show. As always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugebex, the Suplex Throwing Human Duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at Raw Attitude Pod, or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes because that helps us find an even wider audience. And if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. Before we go, gentlemen, please feel free to plug your side projects one more time. Let's start with you, Andy, if you'd like to, to get in some more plugs. Sure. Uh, just go and check out the Shadowbane podcast. We're starting our brand new story September 1st, uh, 1692 The Risen. Uh, we're doing casting right now for that, so check that out. That'll be dropping soon. Don't forget uh, Tuning Japanese as well. We hopefully, fingers crossed, have a very special guest lined up for the near future for that. So looking forward to that. And uh, don't forget the Questionable Endeavor Network at questendnetwork.com. And go check out the forums. We're, uh, we have a forum that uh, you know we're just waiting for people who are listening to all of our different shows. We know you're out there. Just come on in, uh, make an account, and, and talk to us. We'd love to talk with you. Absolutely, and the, the Raw Attitude podcast is on there it as is. well. It is, so if you want to talk with Henry, you can talk directly to Henry on there. Certainly can. And uh, not to spoil anything, but the special guest you're trying to line up is Sailor Moon, right? Obvi- yes, <laughs> it, it, Sailor Moon herself. She's going to show up in all of her sparkly, amazing costumes. It's going to be great. But will she discuss Beautiful. her flow when she shows yes, up? Yes, she will. That, that, that's <laughs> oh, that's, that's question number one I have for her. <laughs> Wait, hang on, hang on. Sailor Moon, Luna Vachon dressed up as a sailor. Sailor oh. Luna. Oh, and Sailor Luna means moon. There you go. There you go. Luna does mean moon, doesn't yeah. it? In Spanish. Yeah. That, that's a, holy shit. Together. She could she could voice the sequel when uh, Sailor Moon is like some you know used up you know forty something smoking like, cigarettes for like the last twenty five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we just cracked the code on Luna's outfit this week. All right. <laughs> Uh, Jason, what about you? Anything you'd like to, to plug? Uh, like I guess you can catch me every week on the Ride Attitude podcast. Most, I'm sorry, not the Ride Attitude. The Rundown. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, you're joining? You're joining? Oh, there you go. Uh, the Rundown podcast. You can catch me this week on the Ride Attitude podcast. Uh, the Rundown podcast with Adam. I'm sure he'll give all, all the details. Uh, also, Twitter at jstewart0920. Also, Atlantic Pro Wrestling on Facebook. You can catch me all the things I'm up to in those venues. Excellent. And Adam, how about you? Yeah, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast every Wednesday, except uh, until next week when we move to Thursdays because of live SmackDown. Uh, or is that Mike? No, that's this week. Whenever it is. Uh, on Live on Google Plus and YouTube, we live stream the show uh, and have a little question and answer function on the side that uh, that some folks regularly chime in on, uh, including uh, our good friend Sal, who leaves us voicemails, and co-ghost uh, Sean, who, who hangs out every once in a while. Uh, and then that goes up to uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, usually the same night. Uh, so just search for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. We're on Twitter, at Rundown Podcast, and you can, I think it's Facebook.com slash Rundown Wrestling. We, we have coffee and we talk wrestling. No big whoop. <laughs> oh, oh, Vince Russo on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Vince Russo. <laughs> has, has he contacted you yet? I heard that you're, you're trying to get him on. 
Uh, yeah, it, you know, I, I feel like he's going to. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I feel pretty confident in that. He's, he's currently planning a public debate with Jim Cornette, so I'm not sure. Uh, oh, Jesus. He might be a little further down the ladder than, than old Corny. <laughs> bro, bro, I swear to God, bro, it's going to happen, bro. Can't wait to not listen to that. <laughs> oh, my God. Jim Cornette r- rips him every chance he gets, so that would be that would be interesting. He's fantastic. From a from a train wreck perspective, which often is what uh, the attitude ever turns into, so it all comes full circle. All right, and of course, as is the tradition, whenever a guest host joins the show, I must ask the same question: Do you have an all time favorite match, promo, or moment you would like me to play at the end of the episode? And Jason, I'm going to let you choose because this is your first time on the podcast. If you don't have an idea of something to play, I'll just play my own clip, and it'll probably end up being something embarrassing, like oh, uh, I don't know, just spitballing here the rape joke that got abraham washington fired in 2012 <laughs> something like something like that something like well that. certainly not my favorite but since we discussed it in this episode i feel it only fitting that we play the clip of uh the mountie going to jail and uh, oh beautiful yes. all right i will try i'll definitely try to track that down and there you have it so thanks again to andy thanks again to adam and thanks again to jason for joining the raw attitude podcast this week and we will catch you Next time. You can't do this to me. You know who I am. You can't do this to me. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, you stop, you stupid. You know who I am. I'm the mountain. No, you can't do this to me. You can't. No, you can't take my fingerprints. I'm not giving it to you. You're not. You're not.